So here we go. Today, Rava Omar, we're holding Davav Amad Aleph, okay? What we're going to do is, in general, like we said before, we're going to be continuing that not just in the Shia, we're going to go through the Gemara, but we're going to go in depth with Taisvers, Rashi, to explain what's going on on a little bit of a deeper level, okay? So Rava Omar, Rava says, for this Gemara, it's actually complicated enough, just, just a simple explanation of the Gemara is also quite deep. So we're not just going to brush through it this time, we're going to make sure that we have it clear, crystal clear. Kalvachomer. He brings a Kalvachomer. Im Nesra Bamutter law if she became forbidden in that which was permitted to her, which means we're talking about her first husband, her husband that she's currently with. Baasr law, like Kolshakin, that which was forbidden to her, which means the brother, which while she was married to his brother, she was forbidden to him. Is it not all the more so that she's forbidden to him? So the question is it's a very strange, even when you read it, it's a very strange Kalvachomer, right? Because he's talking about, he's saying, now she's forbidden to him because she was forbidden to him when her brother was alive. It's very interesting. And what the Gemara is basically going to do is try to very clearly analyze and put into a clear box and category, what is this case? What's the Kavachomer the Rav is saying? That's, oh, because she was married to him and she was forbidden to him and then she became forbidden. How does that make any sense? So we're going to do this through Abaya is going to, you know, knock Rava in the chops and through Abaya really breaking it down with him. Then it's going to get us uh, to a more clear place. Amar Le'abaya. What? Amar Le'abaya. Abaya says to him, El But if that is so, if you're making this Kavachomer, Kohen Gadol Shekidesh Esahamanaf. There's a case where a Kohen Gadol is Mekadesh, a widow. Which the halacha is, a Kohen Gadol cannot get married to a widow. Right? Okay? A regular Kohen can. Umes. And then he dies. And then he has a brother who's a regular Kohen, which means in this case, the regular Kohen brother is able to marry a widow. The Kohen Gadol cannot marry a widow. Okay? So it's a very unique, specific case. They don't do Yibum. So he says to him, What? Yeah, no, he's finishing, they're finishing the question. So he's saying, if... He's forbidden. If she was forbidden in that which was permitted to her, then that which was forbidden to her, or not all the more so, which means in this case, he's bringing a case where he's saying, it's a case where the woman is married to this man, Kohen Gadol. She's not allowed to be married to him because he's a Kohen Gadol, and she's a widow. Now what happens is the Kohen Gadol passes away, and now she does do Yibum with the brother who's a regular Kohen. So the question is, he's saying, is how are you, how are you saying this whole idea Oh, of that she became forbidden and that all the more so to the brother who's forbidden. If in this case we see she does do Yibum. It's a similar idea. She does do Yibum. Now he says right away, Rav explains to him, that's a different case. Why is that a different case? Nesra. Really the truth is, once you learn the Gemara, it's hard to even understand what a biased question is because the case is so different and Rav therefore immediately pushes it away. So I'm just going to finish that off so it's more clear before I explain what he's saying. Nesra. Ha'asira v'kaima. Rav said, I'm talking about a case where she became forbidden. Which means in the case of a regular husband, let's go back to our original case. In the case of a regular husband, while they're married, there's no Isser in place. They're in a happy marriage. Everything is great. Everything is fine. Everyone's happy. Over there, you brought a case of where he's married to a girl who he's already forbidden to. So that's a case where they're forbidden to start off with. That's a totally different case. This case could easily be he became Kongado. He was married to Oh, and afterwards he became Kongado. No, but it seems like from the language, it seems like from the language where it's a Kohen Gadol, Shekidesh, and so It seems like it's a Kohen Gadol that then went and was Makadesh, a widow. So, That's so the language I, it seems heard, like. Please just double confirm this. Yeah. That this Kohen 
who married a widow, which was perfectly entitled, then became common Gadol, has to divorce his uh, wife? Yes, I believe so. I believe so. Yeah. So he says like this. He said, the case that you brought to me is a different case. They were already forbidden. It's not a case where they were permitted to each other and then became forbidden. Mutter la asr lahu. Yeah? There's no mutter. There's no mutter in that case. It's forbidden to begin with. The whole thing is, is, is treif. So there's no, oh, they became forbidden, not forbidden. It's totally not good to begin with. Okay? So then he says, okay, fine. I'll bring you a different case. You're right, Rava. You got me. You're right. Let me bring you a different case, which is a better case. And this case is very fascinating. And that's why I wanted to learn it inside to be able to fully get his disproof and then to understand what he's answering him back. back excuse me. Ella, Aishas Kohen Shenensa. So what happens if a Kohen and a woman are happily married? Everything is good. Nothing's wrong with their marriage. Then all of a sudden, one day, the woman gets raped. Okay? A woman who is raped cannot be married to a Kohen. Umes. And now the Kohen dies, her husband. And like Albert said today, which is perfect for this case to know, you only do Yibum from the father, which means if the guy has a brother from a mother, you don't do Yibum to that guy. You only do Yibum if the brother is from the same father. So over here we're talking about you have two brothers that are Kohanim, but one is a Chalol and one is a real Kohen. What's a Chalol? A Chalol is a guy that if a Kohen goes and marries one of the four women that he's not allowed to marry, and he has a child, this person is no longer a Kohen. So how could that happen, that you could have one brother who's a Kohen and one brother who's a Cholol? It's because the dad had kids Second from two marriage. different women. Yeah. So first marriage, it was perfectly fine. Exactly. Cohen, the first kids, the older brother. He's a Kohen. Yes. Now he goes and marries a divorcee. Yes. So think about this case, very interesting. So the Kohen is happily married to his wife. One day his wife gets raped, okay? Just want to go through step by step so that you understand fully because it's important, not just for the case itself, but to understand what's the logic of the Gemara coming to. Step one, happy marriage, everything is good. Kohen married to a regular woman. Step two, the woman gets raped. Now she cannot be married to a Kohen anymore. Step three, we're obviously talking about where things move pretty quickly. Before they could do the divorce which they were meant to do, he dies. Now does she need to do Yibum with his brother who's not a Kohen? So what do we say? Lotus Yavin. They don't do Yibum, So he says, if she's forbidden, if she was forbidden to that which was permitted to her, isn't it all the more so to that which was forbidden to her in the first place? Which means he's asking a question again, he's disproving him. He's saying for sure in this case that you do Yibum. In that case, you do do Yibum, even though the original marriage was good. And then because she was raped, now she can't be married to the brother. If he dies before they get divorced, she still needs to do Yibum, which is very interesting. Because if you think about it, she was supposed to get divorced from the original brother, right? We're talking about a case she was supposed to divorce him, or he was supposed to divorce her. And then we say, because he died, now she needs to get married to his brother, even though they were meant to get divorced. That's the law. So Rava says back to him, Oynes b'Yisrael mishra shari, v'gabe dahai miha leka isura. We say that a woman who is raped, she is permitted to a regular Jew, and in this case, there was never an Isser. So I know this is getting very technical and a little bit complicated, so I want to break it down very simple. Rava brought a case which was extremely specific. Every detail of the case, extremely specific. And if you'd read the case, you would be like, oh, it's a regular case, and then you could bring all these different cases. And each one shows you how his case was extremely specific. In this case, what is he talking about? Is he saying that basically when a man is married to a woman, 
And now she goes and becomes an unfaithful woman. We're not saying she's a woman who cheats because we don't know if she cheated. Just being unfaithful and going around and being promiscuous. Now she has made herself trafe to her husband and to the brother. In this case, when she's raped, she's always kosher to the brother because the brother's a cholol. So he has no issue to marry a woman who is raped. She's always kosher to him. So why do you do Yibam in that case? Is because once his brother dies, now they can get married. There's no problem with that. But a woman who's going around and being promiscuous, she's a problem to the brother and she's a problem to this other guy as an extension of the brother. So it's very technical. And in order to understand this well, we're going to learn the Tysus. And the Tysus will narrow it down for us even better so it's even more clear. Okay? Asius Kohen Shenensa, Tysus, the second Tysus, Adaf Vav Amanalef. So he says like this The Im Taimar, even more specific, if you're going to ask, Amai lo tani la beperak yesh mutaris in Sechtas Yevamos, Gabi Asuris la balein mutaris liyavamehen. So this case, I'll just tell you the first part of this title is a little bit uh, just off topic where he's wondering why doesn't it bring these cases that you're talking about in the cases where it's forbidden to the husband and they're permitted to do yibum. It's a specific case of Meseftas Yevamos. So I'm not going to go so into it because it'll go off topic and get even more confused. So he brings another case which makes it even more specific and also more clarity. As he says over here, what happens in the case where a man and a woman are happily married and then one day, without uh, any holds barred in the language, which I'm going to say very bluntly, one day the guy gets into an accident, maybe he gets into a fight and he gets his testicles crushed. Okay? According to the Torah, that man has to get divorced. That's the halacha. If the man, once his reproductive organ is destroyed, now he needs to get divorced. So we say, what? Assuming they had no kids. Yes, because then, exactly. But over here, he's saying, in that case, they would need to get divorced and they would have to, and it would be the same case, or it would be the same problem, would be an issue from that case. But we say in the case of a Ptuadaka, that the man, even if he dies, his brother still needs to do Yibum. And it's the same problem again. You could say, okay, now he's a Ptsuadaka. His reproductive organ was crushed. So now he can't be married to this woman anymore. So you think, okay, the whole marriage falls apart. But if he dies before they get divorced, she still needs to do Yibum with his brother. Even though their marriage fell apart, so to speak, because of what happened to him. Okay? So he asks the question. And Taisvis is saying, and he ends off with the question. He doesn't answer it over here. He says... What about that case over there? It's the same question. So Taisvis over there in Yevamos brings us the answer and it also gives us more clarity here. He doesn't answer it here. He answers it over there in that Masechta. He says, we're talking about a case where the, the treif ingredient to their marriage, I guess is the word to use for it, came from the woman. Okay? Not from the man. Over there in that case, the man, his marriage was destroyed because he got destroyed. He got physically destroyed, so that's what messed up their marriage. Over here in the case of the Sota, we're talking about how the woman came along, she was acting promiscuous, and therefore that damaged their marriage. Okay? So Rova brings a Kalvachomer, if we're now we're putting down the whole bullet points of what case he's talking about. Very specific. What happens, a man and a woman are married. What happens if the woman destroys the marriage? Not the man. Okay? That's bullet point number one. Bullet point number two is we're talking about a case where they were permitted to each other in the beginning. 
they were having a happy marriage, everything was good, everything was kosher, and then she came and ruined the marriage. Not a case where it started as a forbidden marriage, like the case of the Kohen Gadol to the widow, right? Make sense? Okay, okay. So that just shows you a very specific case with Rav and Abaya, exactly what he's talking about over there. Let's move on to the Mishnah. Yes. Okay, over here, we're going to talk about very simple, not as complicated as the Kavachom we just discussed, very simple halacha, which is fascinating for the case over here, because people are interested in how this whole sota process works. Over here, the Mishnah throws in a bunch of curveballs, which shows you why it's such a specific case, and such a unique case. The Mishnah says like this, Ve'elu asuris These are the people that cannot eat tumah. What does it mean, the people that cannot eat tumah? We don't care specifically about eating tumah. What he means by that statement is, these are the cases where they're not going to drink the sota waters, but their marriage is messed up. That's what he basically means. Not specifically Tuma to a Kohen. These are the cases where they don't do the sota waters, but the marriage is ruined. What are those cases? Which means if this whole thing happens and we say, okay, now let's take her to give her the sota waters and let's do the whole thing where you wrap the thing around her neck and you have to embarrass her and all that stuff. And then she says, wait a second, I did it. I'm guilty. You know, we committed adultery. That's it. We say, okay, no soda waters, marriage done. Simple. If witnesses come along, if they're about to give her the soda waters and two guys come running in, actually, we're going to see here, it's actually only one guy, according to Taisvis, that if one guy comes running and he says, ah, oh, she committed the act, I saw it, right when they're about to give her the water, that's it, done. That's it done, what, they kill her? No, 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 she has to get divorced. They don't kill her. The case of killing her, like Ruby was saying before, the case of killing her, just to be clear, the case of killing her has to be a very, very, very high level of proof of her committing adultery. It's a whole different case. Over here we're talking about if their marriage can continue or not. That's our problem here, yeah. That's what Tyson's about to say, yes. We don't want to steal Tyson's thunder. He worked, uh, you know, he has a whole thing here. It's been here for a thousand years. You gotta, Tyson deserves it. He says like this, if she says, I won't drink, which is very interesting because the halach over here is you think the sota is like a, a weapon that the husband has, that he could take the woman to the base of Migdash and he could force her to drink the water. Over here we see that's not the case. The woman could say, I don't want to drink and she cannot be forced. So I don't know of what image in your head you're having of the sota experience, but it's not like she has her hands <coughs> tied behind her back and she's being forced against her will, poured down her throat sota water. That's not what's happening. Over here we're talking about how the woman is willingly and happily going along to drink the sota waters to prove to her husband that she's innocent. Okay? That's the case here. If she says, I don't want to drink, she doesn't have to drink, but then they can't be married. Because if she says she doesn't want to drink, then we say, okay. She's saying, I don't want to drink, but I'm not guilty. We say, no. No, she, she's, 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 she doesn't want to erase Shema Yeah. So, 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 so such a tzaddikis, we say, sayonara. <laughs> so if the husband doesn't want to, like he's a tzaddik, we say he doesn't want to give her the sota waters, then we say also the marriage is done. And probably the most interesting case is if they're on the way to Yerushalayim to do the sota procedure, and then they have intimacy on the way to Jerusalem, that destroys the entire thing. That makes the sota waters ineffective, and that ends the marriage as well. We say, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
That's why we don't do it anymore. It would be a good business. You could charge like 10K a soda water thing. It would be great for we. <laughs> we don't get to it. What? We still charge it for it. There's a guy who says Kameas. He does Kamea soda water. So you can get it at the T vote. <laughs> Yes, interesting idea. Yes, that's true. That it says in the Torah that that which is forbidden to a man, in a way, meaning that's the whole idea behind Nida. It's all going on a side note. That's the whole idea behind Nida, is that Nida is that you're the the it creates an attraction in the marriage because then they're forbidden to each other in a permitted relationship. It's a brilliant way of creating intimacy in a marriage. So here he's saying the same issue, but it backfired. Is that then they were forbidden to each other? And they're going to do the soda waters, and that created an attraction, and then therefore they uh, messed up the whole process, and now they have to get divorced. Okay, so let's do this Taisvis to end off this year today. Okay, so the question that Taisvis wants to ask over here is how we said before a very interesting novel halacha. I remember we spoke about it a few weeks ago. When it comes to her being proven to commit adultery, you only need one witness, which we know in general the Torah is very unique because one witness can easily lie. Right? One witness could come along and just make up a whole thing. What was the reason that we said that over there? Why is one witness believed in the case of a sota? It's because there's a glimladavar. It's because over here we're talking about a case, which is very important to remember. We're not talking about, which it's hard, to, again, to say about Shir being a tzaddikis. We're talking about a woman who was already going around with a specific guy. The husband warned her to not go with this specific guy in front of two witnesses. And then she was caught being with a specific guy by two witnesses. So we're already like, okay, you know, the, the, the kosher stamp, she's already not Mahadrin, Minha Mahadrin. Right now she's, yeah, I don't know, you know, I don't get into the whole kosher. The image of the event, exactly. So already in that case, that's why we say one witness is believed. So Tosfos comes along and asks, does that mean, in this case, what he's talking about, the only believe one witness? So Tosfos says like this. It's the third, the, the second to last Tosfos on Vav Amaralif. Misapka la Rebbe, it's a suffix, it's a doubt. Rebbe is not sure. If it specifically means over here two witnesses and one witness is not believed. That we establish in the Gemara that we're talking about after she drank. But before she drank, the Torah believes one witness. Okay? So we say like this. There's a case if the woman has a witness. Which over here he's asking, is a witness or witnesses? If it's in another country, let's say a very simple case. In Israel, this whole story happens. Where, very sadly, this woman is going around, she gets warned by her husband, and now they can't be together, and now he's taken to do the soda waters, right? But there's one witness who's sitting on the beach in Italy at the Amalfi Coast, right? And he's having a cocktail in Italy. He's not part of this whole thing. He just remembers he walked and saw this woman have intimacy, right? Now, the Sota waters don't work because this man saw the act happen. So the Sota waters, it's really a miraculous thing. The Sota waters, spiritually, you know, if anybody witnessed the act of intimacy, now the Sota waters don't work anymore. They only work if nobody saw it happen except for the woman and the man himself, okay? So literally it says, which is why, if you think about it, then you could ask a very simple question, and maybe why it didn't happen. Then seemingly the Sota waters are totally ineffective in the first place. Because even after they happen, 
the whole idea is that afterwards they could continue their marriage happily because they know that there's innocence, right? And they could say, okay, now I know she's fully innocent. But if they don't work, we know there's like 10 conditions for the Sota waters to work. And if any of those conditions happen, then they won't work. So even if nothing happens to her, when the whole thing ends, the guy could still say, maybe, maybe, maybe there's a witness in Italy. Maybe she did this. Maybe I did that. And then it doesn't work. <coughs> so my simple question is the Sota waters don't even seem so effective in the first place. What? We have to figure out. If she committed adultery. No, but if there's so many, what I'm trying to say is if there's so many things that mess up the Sota waters, then the whole thing seems to be pretty redundant. I don't know. I have to ask Hashem. I'm going to speak to him. I'm going to ask him. When do we ask him? Yes. I'll send regards. She's she'll kill me. Yeah. My wife. Yes. Uh, well, good news. Yes. Yeah. Trust me. Trust me. Yes. Put on my my. Yeah. So a cynic might say, or before I get to a cynic might say, let me ask you this. Yeah. Um, a cynic might say that we we really don't know. Anything, if it works or doesn't work, because as far as we know, Sota has never, ever been drank. Yeah. Right. Maybe once. We're not sure about that. We're going to look into it. Okay. Yeah. Is there anything else in the Torah where we say, we talk like this, but in reality, it's never been done before? Hypothetical. Yeah, but we talk about the death. I mean, that's it's never been done before. No, we, we say once in a seven yeah, years. So we but it was less than that. The death penalty, yeah. yeah. Ben Sora Amor is the best example. Yeah, Ben Sora Amor. Okay. Because the death penalty, it was done, no matter how rare. Yeah. And even if it wasn't done, there's nothing magical about it. Yeah. We all know you take stones and you rain it on the person, he or she will die. So by the way, I'll just answer, just to answer, because I get what you're, what you're getting at. You're saying, what's the point of we're discussing this whole lot? We have a whole set to here. How do I even know it's true? How do you know? Because even then you say, not only has it never been used, but then you add to it that there's so many precise things. It has to be perfect upon perfect upon perfect. It's like, you know, it's, okay, great, but Tachlis, could it ever work? I'm not talking about Hashem can do anything, he's sitting in the floor for whatever, but this is not Hashem doing it. This is us doing it. We have to admit, Hashem does his job, but we have to bring to Hashem, it's like, the perfect carbona, the carbon, yeah. with so many ifs and buts. Not only can it ever blemish, it, can't, it has to be, you know, this shade of red mixed with this, you know, it's so many rules. Well, let me ask you and this. Then will I'll ask you this. When you, have you felt for the past few weeks during the Gemara time that you've been learning? That you've been learning a lot, learning lessons or learning interesting Torah. Have you... That's what Gemara's all about. I learn things which make no sense. But so I no, so there's many parts of the Torah. There is parts of the Torah. It's not that there's no practical application of them. But for example, the Ben Sora Amora. I'll tell you one random thing we learned for the Ben Sora Amora, which shows you why, even though it never happened, it's an unbelievable part of the Torah. If you look at the Ben Sora Amora, what it says is, is that the parents give up on the child and they take him and then he has to be, it's a whole thing, right? But one of the lessons that we learn over there for practical education today for parents to know about educating their children is that the number one thing which will devastate a child beyond repair is the parents giving up on him. As long as the parents do not give up on the child, the child has hope. Once his parents, once his father and mother give up on him, this child has no hope. So it means that's a lesson that you learn from the Ben Sora Mora 
that the Torah, yes, you could say you could have just said it, but then when the Torah brings the Ben Soramor, it teaches you lessons that are profound and powerful, very practical lessons. Meaning that let's say today, it's not even, I'm not talking about like, oh, we're not talking about Sota where it's once in a million. In the firm community and in many communities, people are having trouble with their kids, that the kids are going off the derech, or maybe not even off the derech in observance. Maybe they're doing off the derech and doing terrible things. And people then come to a rabbi or they come to whoever it is to give them direction and they ask, what should I do? So if the rabbi learns, Ben Soramora, he'll tell them, as long as you believe in your kid, there's hope. And you've seen it happen many times that maybe the kid will go off for a few years, maybe he'll go to this place, maybe he'll go all the way to who knows where, but he'll come back if he feels like he can come back. But once his parents give up on him, that's it. That's, the, that's, a, that's a, a death sentence for his... So all due respect, I don't yeah. But Sota, you mean but Sota? Sota's talking about promiscuity, meaning okay, it is something which unfortunately happened. First of all, without getting personal with anybody, <laughs> I would believe that at least the majority in this room has never cheated on their wives. Okay, I'm hoping to at least. Okay, in other words, it's not, we're not going to do a show of hands. Okay, okay? we're just going to keep it. We're going to keep it unknown. <laughs> we're going to leave it as a mystery. It's not a mystery. <laughs> Okay. But I, I don't think it's as prevalent as this. And yes. Sota, it's not we get we get the slippery slope. Right? Yeah. But here it's going to um it it's 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 basically saying like there are certain things when we learn in Judaism that it's almost impossible to really be ever a Daraisa. Even Nida. When you learn about Nida, yeah. Nida Daraisa is such a small thing. It's not sleeping with your wife during the period. It's yeah. Like this. yeah. It's okay. But what are you saying? So, so, so then, and so the, I'm just wondering about the whole Sota because we don't, we, we don't even know if it works. So I'll tell you honestly. I to me the simple answer is is that when we learn Sota, for example, everything we just learned now about one witness and about when you do Yibum and about this case of when she was forbidden permitted. It's not even when you're learning Sota. The actual halacha of sota about the waters or whatever, in a way, is just a premise for everything else that we're learning. The actual halacha itself is that there's something for some reason, which I don't know exactly what it is, that Hashem felt that this law needs to be a law in the world. Now, a lot of people say it's because of something we learned from it. It could be just the existence of this law in the world needs to be, for whatever reason. Like we were talking about different halachot and this halacha right here. Certain halachot don't make any sense, right? If you would bring them to some... Uh, you know, anti-Semitic Harvard student, they would come at you in a debate and they would say, oh, you have this law that a Kohen can't be with his wife after she's raped? What kind of a barbaric, ridiculous, you know, religion are you? And it's like, you know, and they don't have answers. Meaning the answer to that at the debate is that it's not always an answer, is that there's a God who made the law. It's not a man who sat there. What? That, what? Well, there's no point in God. Yes, no, it is. That is a law that's still right, today. That, that's halacha with life. Yes. This is not the theoretical, but the actual sota waters. 
Yeah. Is something that, as far as we know, maybe. Well, maybe one lesson, I just off the top of my head, maybe one lesson you could say from the Soto Waters, which Hashem wants people to know, is that He's willing to, Hashem is willing to sacrifice of Himself for the health of a marriage. Because what happens in the Soto relationship? You're taking Hashem's 72 letter name. It's a name we don't use anymore. You never see it. It's so holy. There's many stories of Rabbanim using the name to fly and to do miracles and everything. You're scratching off that name, erasing it, which is totally an iser. That's why it's all these cases. It's completely not allowed to do. And you're using it to prove her innocence in a marriage. So maybe Hashem is telling you how important marriages are to him that in order to have a good marriage that Hashem is willing to have his own name erased. It's possible. But that's my own made up. That will be in, in my safer. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.